Welcome to the ESG Matters podcast. My name is Ahmad Gomis and I am your host. Today we have Jeffrey Hollander, CEO and co-founder of the American Sustainable Business Network. ASBN is a movement builder in partnership with the business and investor community. ASBN develops and advocates solutions for policymakers, business leaders, and investors that support an equitable, regenerative, and just economy that benefits all people and planet. Welcome to the podcast, Jeffrey. Thank you. Thrilled to be here with you. Great. So I think, you know, just as level set, can you briefly discuss how you became interested in ESG and the value proposition of American Sustainable Business Network? Sure. Happy to do that. I've been interested in ESG for several decades. Back in the early days of seventh generation, the seventh generation is about 35 years old at this point, but much earlier in its development, we were the first private company to produce what's called the GRI-based global reporting initiative-based ESG report. And the Global Reporting Initiative was one of the first organizations that gave you a guideline for how to produce a ESG report. And so we at Seventh Generation were very, very interested in providing transparency to our key stakeholders, not shareholders, but stakeholders. So that included, of course, our employees, as well as our local community, but even people in our supply chain and the factories that made our products. We were very committed to that radical transparency. And we thought that ESG reporting was one of the best ways to do that. And this whole concept of transparency, and, and we call it radical transparency to separate it from the traditional transparency that you might expect from a company. This radical transparency is a really important part of our ESG reporting. And it's really about disclosing not just the wonderful things that you're really proud of, but also disclosing where you miss the mark, what you're doing wrong, what you haven't gotten right, the mistakes that you've made. And to have good ESG reporting, you really need that radical transparency that gives someone a really complete picture of the business. And most businesses don't like to give you that complete picture. They don't really like to talk about what they got wrong, what they don't know how to do, and where they need to get better. But for ESG reporting to be valuable and effective, it needs to be radically transparent. So in terms of the proposition for the American Sustainable Business Network, there's several aspects of that that are important. The American Sustainable Business Network is made up of three different nonprofits that all came together under one roof. So we have something called Investor Circle, where we have a group of investors who invest in early stage businesses, often led by women and people of color. We have the Social Venture Network, which is a network of really entrepreneurs who started responsible businesses. And it's very much about their peer-to-peer -peer relationship about mentoring. And uh, those individuals include well-known people like Ben 
Cohen and Jerry Greenfield from Ben and Jerry's. Anita Roddick, the founder of The Body Shop, was a member for many, many years before she passed away. Gary Hirschberg, who was the founder of Stonyfield Yogurt. So SVN historically has been made up of the leading entrepreneurs in the sort of responsible, sustainable business movement. And by being part of ASBN, you get to hang out with these people, you get to learn from these people, and often get mentored by them. Another really important dimension of the American Sustainable Business Network is what I call our working groups. And these working groups cover very specific areas like regenerative agriculture or even ESG, circular economy, race and equity. And they're made up of members of the American Sustainable Business Network, could be 10 or 15 people, could be as many as 100 people. And they educate themselves. They have outside speakers who come in and speak to them. And ultimately, what they do is they work on public policy. They work on developing legislation that promotes ideas like regenerative agriculture or a circular economy. ASBN also has a terrific annual conference. That conference uh, typically takes place in San Diego and is a time for our whole community to get together, very educational, lots of networking. And we will bring in well-known speakers like Anand Girahadis, who's spoken at two of our conferences and will be keynoting our conference in uh, December uh, of 2022. So the conference is a big part of, of what we do. And I've talked already about Investor Circle. So if you're interested in making seed or startup investments in cutting edge, responsible, sustainable businesses, you have a chance to do that through Investor Circle, which is part of the American Sustainable Business Network. Thank you for that. I do want to really tug at one thread that you talked about when you talked about the fact that there's so many companies who are interested in sustainability, creating a sustainable products or services for, for the marketplace. And also when you talked about, you all were the first ones to really report to GRI. One thing I've noticed has been that in the, there's been a variety of different ways that companies can report in GRI and SASB and all of these acronyms that really are trying to force a language to have ESG sort of become a, a common language across different industries and different requirements. But I do wonder the value of regulatory guidance. We see that the SEC is coming out with some ESG-related requirements for public companies to disclose. And I just wanted to get your take on, do you think that this field needs regulatory guidance? And if so, what, what value would, do you think that would really bring to, to the field? Yeah, that's a great and really important, timely question. And I am, and ASBN is a great advocate of greater regulatory guidance when it comes to ESG for a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, if companies make their disclosures according to different structures and different metrics, it makes it very hard to compare their performance to each other. So whether you're an employee, a prospective employee, whether you're an investor, whether you're a supply chain partner, we think that the way the SEC would regulate carbon emissions and carbon impact would force companies to do it in a 
way that allows you to easily compare different companies. So you could look at the oil and gas industry and you could see how different companies performed on the same metric. So that's really important. And this information, which wasn't required previously, we think is very, very material to a company's performance and to the risks and opportunities they're seeing in the marketplace. Climate change, as we know, uh, has already begun to disrupt business operations. And if you're a shipping company, you would have to disclose what risks climate change present to the transportation of, of boats around the globe. And that presents some serious risks that are important for particularly investors to know about. So we think that, that greater transparency is a good thing, but we think that critically it enables investors, uh, employees, and other key stakeholders to know the information that is really material for decisions that they're about to make. Now, we know that not everybody wants to make these disclosures, and particularly uh, businesses in the oil and gas industry have some, some real uh, misgivings about having to disclose this information. And that's why we think it's important that the SEC steps in and mandates these types of disclosures. And sort of picking that thread up again, I do wonder, you know, we talked about the SEC and we see on the local level that there are some ordinances of disclosure that city governments are, are looking for companies to provide. And I just didn't know when you look out in the landscape, what type of public policies do you think, I guess what public policy tools rather, would you see out there that would help to create greater sustainability adoption and help the concept become more mainstream rather, because we, we're starting to see a lot of people think about this in a way that they didn't think about this in the last five to 10 years, even lay people in the street. But what would, in your opinion, be the one or two sort of levers or tools that public policy officials could really use to increase the sustainability adoption and the concept become more mainstream? Yeah, I think one of the things that's really confusing to consumers is why sustainable, responsible products often cost more than traditional products. And one of the biggest drivers is that those companies are trying to take responsibility for their impacts rather than dumping them on the environment or on society. And the single biggest, what we call externality, is CO2 emissions that are critical in impacting climate change. And we believe that as a companion to the SEC's climate disclosure policy, we need to put a price on those carbon emissions. If a company is going to emit 100 tons of uh, CO2, they should pay a price, let's say $60 a ton, for the damage that is done to people's health because uh, those CO2 emissions cause allergy attacks, they cause asthma attacks, they can even cause and contribute to some forms of cancer, let alone climate change. So we think that by putting a price on those emissions and having companies pay, what you would start to see is that these good, sustainable, responsible products would start to cost less 
than their traditional competitors because those sustainable products are designed to cause less CO2 emissions where traditional products are not. So we think that would be hugely important to building the marketplace for sustainable, responsible products. It would make sense to consumers that those products that are made responsibly not cost more, but actually cost less because they're doing less damage to society and the environment. So that's certainly one example. And, and just to dimensionalize that a little bit, if we take a company like Seventh Generation, which, which I spent 20 years uh, starting and running until it was sold to Unilever in 2016, we have, as, as responsible a company as we are, we have significant impacts. Every time someone uses one of our dish liquid products and heats up water to do the dishes, that has a CO2 impact that seventh generation discloses in its sustainability report and takes responsibility for by paying a self-imposed CO2 emissions tax. And 90% of our total impact as a company uh, takes place in what's called scope three, which is consumer use of our product. And we are highly motivated to find ways to reduce those emissions, both for reasons of being more responsible, but also for financial reasons. So all of this would, would come into play if there was a tax on CO2 emissions per ton emitted. And you laid out a really clear rationale as to why businesses should want regulations and the type of regulations that would help to encourage and spur both growth of ESG from an educational perspective from on the part of the consumer, but also for businesses so that they can price in those externalities that currently aren't being priced. Conversely, what has been some of the bigger reasons that you've seen in the marketplace as to why businesses do not want ESG regulations? Are you seeing in specific industries or are you seeing a profile of a company that typically doesn't want these type of regulations in place? When you want to identify the companies that are most likely to oppose this regulation, you can almost identify them by the companies that are the biggest emitters of CO2. So what we find is the fossil fuel industry as a whole is likely to oppose these regulations, not because it causes a lot of extra work, and it does cause extra work to do the disclosure, but because it casts a negative light on them as an industry. And it really begins to dimensionalize the significant role they play in causing environmental havoc on society. So they're not going to be advocates of this kind of disclosure. And that's why, again, we need regulation so that it is not up to a company to decide whether or not it discloses, so that that disclosure is mandated for public companies uh, by the SEC. And when we think about these disclosures, we've really been focusing much more on the U.S. perspective in this conversation. And one of the concerns that we understand about climate change, about sustainability, is that this is a worldwide problem. So I want to understand from your perspective and what you're seeing out there when you have and you talk to folks in the ASBN, how important is it that ESG disclosures are harmonized around the globe? So that companies in different 
geographies follow the same formula when they're making their disclosures that they that we're all basically saying the same talking the same language so that we all can understand what a real carbon footprint looks like and making sure everyone's aligned in how we're discussing the same issue yeah great question and it, it is just critical that we harmonize these disclosures on an international basis because the additional work that will come to companies if they have to report differently in different countries and different parts of the world will be very, very significant. It'll also make it very hard to compare information if it's reported differently. And in that regard, uh, the EU is ahead of us. They've already uh, approved a great taxonomy for sustainability by defining the words uh, that will be used in the disclosures. And they already have a formula for how those disclosures have to be calculated and made. And to the extent possible, I think the SEC should try to synchronize the rules that they have proposed with those of the EU where most of the other disclosure regulation is taking place. So it is, it is important and particularly critical for global multinational companies that are doing business in a variety of places around the globe. I would say that one of the challenges that we face is regulations in general. The EU has some terrific chemical regulation called REACH, R-E-A-C-H. I think we would be well served to adopt basically the same regulations in the U.S., but so far we haven't been able to do that. There hasn't been the will or the commitment amongst our legislators to regulate chemicals in the same way that they're now focused on regulating CO2 emissions. Then just so that audience can understand this and conceptualize this, you know, we've talked a lot about regulations, the type of regulations, the value of the regulations, and even internationalized it with what type of regulation should be brought into the U.S.? Should there, the value in that common language? Now, the last, one of the last questions I have for you is how do you suggest companies best engage with policymakers around ESG? So someone's listening to this, they understand the value of regulations. They bought into that. They bought into the need that it can help their business actually perform better if they are providing a more sustainable product or service for B2B or B2C clients. And then now, how do they then push this forward to make sure that they're having the most fruitful conversation with policymakers around ESG? Yeah, there's a variety of ways they can do that. And it's very, very important that they, that they are engaged in the process. ASBN has written a letter to the SEC and 400 businesses uh, that are members of ASBN uh, have signed that letter to the SEC commenting on the 500-page document that they issued in draft. And we encourage companies to either sign on to our letter or write their own letter or participate with their trade association to do something similar. But the process of getting good regulations on the books is only done in a thoughtful way when the business community is engaged and in dialogue with regulators. And you have to make the business case for the changes you want to make. You have to explain why your perspective 
is good for your business, but also why it would contribute to a more transparent regulatory landscape and a, a landscape that really benefits our society, our economy, and consumers and other stakeholders in the process. So that engagement is, is critical. ASBN is engaged with regulators on a whole variety of issues. Another big issue that we're engaged with is plastics regulation and uh, trying to deal with this incredible challenge we have that only 7% of plastics are recycled and the other 93% end up either burned or in the landfill or in our oceans. So plastic regulation is important, but there's other things like voting rights. You know, we see states making their own rules when it comes to voting rights. We think that on a federal level, we should have standardized voting rights that encourage rather than discourage people to vote. All of those things are in the purview of what ASBN does. And I'll just mention one more. I, er, I mentioned earlier regenerative agriculture. Uh, ASBN is very involved in the current farm bill and all of the rules and regulations that are contained in it that will shape the way our farming industry operates for many, many years to come. And uh, we are encouraging certain agricultural processes that are much more sensitive to soil erosion, that try to keep pesticides and herbicides to a minimum, and uh, in general, create a more healthy uh, agricultural economy. Thank you so much for that, Jeffrey. And thank you for being a guest on the ESG Matters podcast. I know I learned a lot about the value regulation, how ASBN can help different businesses and investors create the more sustainable world that they want to see. And I thank you for your time. My pleasure. Happy to be with you. And uh, I hope that was of value to your listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the ESG Matters podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe to the ESG Matters podcast on your choice of podcast platforms. This podcast is brought to you by Amat Gumis and theme music by Dexter Thomas. Thank you.